This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Feminism, I think the simplest explanation and one that captures the idea is a song that Marlo Thomas uh, sang, Free to be you and me. Free to be, if you were a girl, doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, anything you want to be. And if you're a boy and you like teaching, you like nursing, you would like to have a doll. That's okay, too. That notion that we should each be free to develop our own talents, whatever they may be, and not be held back by artificial barriers, man-made barriers, certainly not heaven-sent. Those the word of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who passed away on Friday at the age of 87. And to take a look back at her career, we're joined by Jillian Thomas, who's a senior staff attorney with the ACLU Women's Right Project. Jillian, great to have you with us today. Thanks very much for your time. All the best. Thanks so much for having me. Obviously, this is a, a sad time, but when you look back at the career of uh, of Justice Ginsburg, what are the things that that stand out the most to you? In part, I guess, working with the Women's Rights Project. Well, yeah, I mean, I I owe my my current career to Justice Ginsburg. She co-founded the ACLU Women's Rights Project in 1972, and um, her legacy, um, for which she's most known as a as a litigator, comes from her years at the Women's Rights Project. Um, I mean, there's so many things to be grateful to her for, uh, both as a as a justice and as a as a litigator, um, and as a public figure, frankly. But I, I think the quote that you just played from her really is um, the the aspect of her legacy that benefits all of us so much. The idea that sex stereotypes and rigid rules about what it means to be a girl or a woman. Um, are equally damaging to men um, because they limit what it means to be a man or a boy and, and the kinds of things you're um, allowed to care about, allowed to be interested in. So I, I think that is really um, one of the most um, extraordinary aspects of her legacy. So what, what do you think it was about her take on the law, and, and I guess to a degree the delivery in her opinions, that enabled her to really lead such change in women's rights and racial equality? She, she had a brilliance um, in, her, um, in her approach to litigating, uh, again, going back to her career at the, at the Women's Rights Project, um, which you know, carried over into her career as a justice. But in terms of really changing the law, she followed a very incremental approach that um, racial justice warriors like Sergeant uh, Marshall had followed in terms of um, very incremental, um, you know, not uh, trying to push judges and justices beyond what they were able to handle. After all, it was the 1970s. It was a time of a lot of a lot of cultural change. And so she um, she went slowly but surely in challenging the various ways um, our government through its laws and regulations had distinguished between the sexes and, and disadvantaged women, um, although, as I've mentioned, the, the, she was framing it as ways in which men were disadvantaged. So things like, uh, you know, she represented, she had a series of cases in which she represented men who, um, because of various uh, rules in, that, that government had enacted, 
um, were disadvantaged. So, for instance, men who were widowers and um, sought access to survivorship benefits under Social Security, those rules were for survivorship were set up very much to automatically favor widows, women, um, premise on the notion that, that widows, um, you know, had no income of their own, had no way to stand on their own two feet. And she, she represented men in saying, no, you know, these men are caregivers. These men um, have, have children to take care of, you know, may not have um, been the primary earners in the household. Um, and she, through these, kind, these incremental approaches, um, challenged these, um, these government, um, these various ways in which government um, disadvantaged men as well as women. The tax code, Social Security, yeah. um, even um, uh, women's uh, exemption um, from jury duty, how that hurt men as um, criminal defendants who were denied a jury that represented the, a cross-section of their, of their community. Yeah, it's interesting playing off of that. It, uh, she was asked to, you know, a while ago about when there would be enough women to be on the Supreme Court, and she said only when there were nine. And that's a, you know, that's obviously a strong statement. And and now we're getting ready to uh, see a new justice nominated, and President Trump has already said that he wants it to be a woman. But uh, you know, can you envision a day where we would see nine women on the Supreme Court? You know, I, 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 first of all, I, it, that is very hard to believe. I mean, I, I tend to think that, that Justice Ginsburg said that as sort of a thought experiment to, to get everyone to realize how truly, um, you know, incredible it is that, that for all of these years um, that the interests of everybody in the United States have, have, has been decided by, um, you know, a bunch of generally older white men. And um, I, I think the idea of nine women, frankly, also is is not especially um, correct. I think we want the court to um, represent everybody, and that's why it should be racially diverse and, and yeah. ethnically diverse and also um, diverse on the basis of gender. What do you hope is the lasting legacy of Justice Ginsburg? Oh boy! Um, I mean, sadly, so much of her um, legacy as a as a lawyer and as a justice um, is frankly rather fragile. And um, uh, you know, the the different vagaries of how the court um, is stacked with with an exceptionally conservative group of of people, um, you know, can threaten that that legacy. I think that. Um, she uh, she should be recognized, including for her long record of dissent, as always trying to remind um, her fellow justices, as well as um, all of us as advocates, as members of the public, to think about the practical everyday consequences of rulings um, from from the court. You know, her career was about tackling mostly um, uh, discriminatory government action, but. Um, when she sat on the court, she considered how private employers, for instance, um, also disadvantaged their employees, um, you know, in the area of discrimination, you know, access to contraception. Yeah. Um, and it, just in most recently in this last term, um, her vigorous dissent um, in, in the contraception case, and, and she was barely in the majority on the abortion case. I think she really always wanted us to remember 
how how is this falling on the most vulnerable? How is this law or policy or decision falling on the most vulnerable among us? And to to let that drive our analysis about how to move forward. Jillian, thanks very much for your time. Uh, greatly appreciate you uh, stepping in, giving us your thoughts on uh, on Justice Ginsburg. I know it's a, a hard day for all of you there at uh, the ACLU and the Women's Rights Project, but thank you again for coming on. Thank you so much. Thanks for your attention to her legacy. Thank you. Jillian Thomas, uh, Senior Staff Attorney with the ACLU's Women's Rights Project. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.